Wow, cool. Well, I always, it's always a treat to share with you on a Sunday morning, so um, I'm excited by what God wants to share through me. Uh, the title of my message is called The Rhythm of Love, and um, it, it's the main thing. I just keep getting this sense of make the main thing the main thing and keep to the main thing, and the main thing is love. That's it. It's the God is love and is the essence. It is the heart of the entire universe. From the beginning all the way to the end, the Alpha and Omega is love itself. And, um, and the rhythm of love is, it's, for me, it's all about um, the origin and the source of love and the direction and the journey that love itself takes um, from heaven toward us and ultimately to the world, right? And um, I've kind of summarized my entire message in one sentence, which I always try to do. Uh, I think it's just a good little habit. It's like a little espresso shot. um, Contained within this statement is everything I'm about to say over the next 36 minutes. So if you remember anything, remember this. Uh, God is love and he loves me. And because he loves me, I can love me. And when I love me, I am able to love you. And when I love you, I fully love him back. I'm gonna say it again, would you say it with me? God is love and he loves me. Because he loves me, I can love me. And when I love me, I'm able to love you. And when I love you, I love him back. The direction, the flow, the cadence, the rhythm of love is from him to me through me to you. It's that simple. This is the essence of the Christian life. This is the essence of us walking with Jesus is it's all about his love for me manifesting through me to you. And we're gonna read 1 John chapter four. We're gonna read John 13 and 15. Um, But I wanted to say that up front. Uh, This is, I was making coffee on Friday morning and I'm waiting for the kettle to boil. And I just, I have this thought, and um, this is the thought. (laughs) The love that is available to you was conceived in eternity, demonstrated at Calvary, and made manifest at Pentecost. (laughs) And it was one of those thoughts where I'm like, I haven't had my coffee yet, so I know that's that's not my musings. (laughs) I'm a deep thinker, yes, but this is like way beyond my ability to think deep at that time in the morning. And I know it was just one of those ones where it's like, It's just in the atmosphere and I'm gonna take that. That's straight from his heart. The love that is available to us was conceived in eternity. Before God ever said, let there be light, love existed in the form of a relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. Other-centered, self-giving, sacrificial love in its purity and in its essence in eternity. And it was out of that place that God said, let us make man in our image. That his entire intention for us was that we would be the recipients of the love that so existed within the Godhead for all of eternity. And it really becomes demonstrated at the cross when Jesus takes that journey from heaven to earth to meet us in our plight in desperate need of a savior 
and he comes and he walks the earth and he demonstrates and he reveals the love of the Father to us, ultimately manifesting on the cross where he lays down his life for his friends. And then it becomes manifest to all of us. At Pentecost, when he says, go and wait until Jerusalem and I will send the Spirit and you will be my witnesses. When the Spirit arrives at Pentecost to the church, we now have the indwelling Christ within us. And that love, which is his nature, is fully available to us in here. From heaven to earth. I love the image of Ezekiel 47 and, it, and, and the prophet begins to describe a temple and there's a river that flows from the temple and the temple moves through the temple, out of the temple to the surrounding land. And it says that as the river touched the land, there was all types of life that grew up around it. And the purpose of the river that flows from the temple is for the healing of the nations. And Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. What is the river? The river is the love and the life of God that has been made available to us. And it comes from him and it comes to us and it comes through us to others. And this is the Christian life. The main thing that is the main thing that we need to keep the main thing is that God is love and that he loves us. And he then says, go and give that away. I'm gonna read 1 John 4. Uh, chapter four, verse seven. Uh, it says this. Basically what I've just done is like, I think in, I'd like to try and summarize scriptures in my own words. And what, I've, what I'm about to read is what I just summarized. So rather than go verse by verse and kind of, you know, exposit and that was my statement and here it is. He says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows him. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an offering for our sins. Let me say that again. Verse 10, this is love. I love it. The two scriptures that I'm about to read, they have these categorical statements. I love it when the Bible is clear. In verse 10, he says this, this is love. All right. He's essentially, this is the deal, listen up. I'm gonna make it clear. This is love. What is it? It's not that you love him, it's that he loves you. <laughs> Dear friends, since God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us of his spirit at Pentecost. 
and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. What is religion? Religion is attempting to love God independent of his love for you. <laughs> Took me 20 years to get that statement. <laughs> I think I captured it. Religion is attempting to love God from a place within us that is self-generated, that is works, that is, that is trying to find something from a place of nothing in order to please him and to find favor with him. And when he said, it is finished, he declares the end of religion and the striving of man to reach his favor without first knowing that he loves us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This is one of my favorite scriptures because I believe John is writing it from a place of such deep experience. If you didn't know, John who wrote this referred to himself in his gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. It was very bold but very profound. And I think when we look at the disciples, we see 12 and then we see three, Peter, James, and John, and then we see one. That Jesus had these kind of, inner, he, had a, he had his 12 and then he had an inner circle and then he had an inner, inner circle of just him and John. And I think of Peter and I think of John and on display is something so profound. Peter was so zealous for Jesus his boast was that he loved Jesus more than any of the other disciples. When Jesus washed Peter's feet and says, I'm going somewhere that you can't follow, Peter says, oh, no, 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 why can't we follow? I want to follow. I will lay down my life for you, Peter says. To which Jesus responds, yeah, it's great. But before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Peter not knowing what Jesus was talking about. The man who leapt out of the boat, the man who cut off the ear of the soldier who came to arrest Jesus. It is this Peter who was so zealous and passionate and in love with Jesus. And his boast was that he loved him more than the others. But he was absent from the foot of the cross. Because in all of his love for Jesus, there was a fear that was resident within him that caused him to run. And the only one who was at the foot of the cross was the one whom Jesus loved. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not our love for him that will change us. It's his love for us that positions us as friends with God. John standing at the foot of the cross, absent of fear. How was he able to stand there absent of fear? Because he'd experienced perfect love. 
He was a recipient of it. He wasn't a giver of it. And the fact that he had received of this perfect love allowed him to stand with his friend in his greatest hour of need, free from anxiety and free from fear. And it is this John who writes in verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This is my favorite verse right now currently in the whole Bible. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Do you see the rhythm? Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have seen, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I had this prevailing thought for the longest amount of time. And I've been trying to wrestle with it. And um, this is the thought. This is the question. Can we love God in isolation? In other words, is it possible to truly love God without involving other human beings? Is it really possible for me and him just to coexist and for me to love him and him to love me? I don't think so. When I look at the creation story, what I see is the first not good of creation was the fact that Adam was alone. That all of creation was good and Adam was very good. And it is an Adam who was walking in the cool of the day with his God. And it is this context that God turns and looks and says, mm -mm, there's something wrong here. It's not good for man to live alone. And so Eve was fashioned and a mandate was given. Be fruitful and multiply. And so the rhythm of love was put into effect because the true fruit and direction and output of love has to involve human beings loving one another. And I think that's what John is saying here at the end. It has to love other human beings in the flesh. When Jesus retreated to be with his father, um, I've been thinking about this. The scripture doesn't say this, but I've been thinking about that purpose. And you know, we have language of, um, I just need to have my alone time. I just need to, I just need to go be with God. Uh, I'm going to go into the secret. I'm in a season of the secret place. And all of those, I get all of those things. And I've embraced and engaged with all of those things. But I've been thinking recently, what is the purpose of that? And I think the purpose of our alone time with God is not to give him love, but to receive his love. And I think when Jesus retreated from the crowds, there was this longing in his soul. There was this, there was a deficit. And that deficit was he'd forgotten and needed to hear again his father's voice that said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the voice that spoke from heaven at his baptism, he longed to hear again and again and again. And as he withdrew from the crowd to be with his father, it was in this place that he got to see what his father was doing and he got to hear what his father was saying. And so the direction, the flow, the cadence, the rhythm was from his father to him, through him, to his disciples and through his disciples to the world. God gave Moses 
Ten Commandments. The, New, uh, the Old Testament law describes at least 613 laws. Ten Commandments become 613. 613 civic, ceremonial, moral obediences, laws, decrees that the Jewish people had to keep in order to earn favor with God. Jesus shows up on the scene and there's a, there's a rich young ruler who approaches him and he begins to ask, obviously a very efficient businessman wants to know, like, what's the, just, give me the, just give me the one thing, what do I have to do? What's the greatest commandment? Messing around with all of this or this, just, just give me the one thing that I can pour my life into. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So 10 becomes 613, becomes two. And then later at the Last Supper, he's washing his disciples' feet and he makes this declaration, I've got a new command for you. Love one another. And so the two becomes one. And the law of love is given to his disciples. The apostle Paul is writing to the Romans. And he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another. For all commandments are fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's so profound. I thought, the fr I thought the greatest commandment was to love God. Why now is Paul saying that the entire thing rests upon this one command? And when you're reading it, you're expecting, oh, I know what he's gonna say. He's gonna say you gotta love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but he doesn't. The one command that fulfills the entire old covenant and now sets precedence for the new is that we love each other. That it's not so much about what I can do for him. It's about what he has done for me and that I now get to do for you. John 15, nine. Here it is again. I, there's a lot of repetition here, how you get it, but I'm just in this place where I can't read the New Testament without, it's just everywhere. I can't read the New Testament without this thing shouting at me, Michael, it's not about your love for him. It's about his love for you. This is the rhythm. We gotta get this right. If we wanna move away from religion, we must get this truth. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. There it is again. Even Jesus, even Jesus stepped into the rhythm. Even Jesus positioned himself to receive from his Father in order that he might give to his disciples. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. There's another one of those categorical statements. It's explicit. I kind of twist it. This is, just, this is the deal. This is my command. What is it? Love each other. <laughs> As I have loved you. Greater love has no more than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. Well, I no longer call you servants because a servant 
does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Here it is again. Love each other. This was driven home just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I have two daughters, five and three, so they're old enough now, you know, they interact, they play together, can communicate. And, um, and so this is one day, and this is like any given day in my house, you know, I'll be somewhere in the house, deep in thought, contemplating the mysteries of God, and uh, all of a sudden I'll be kind of, <laughs> I'll come crashing out of that with a, with a scream or a bang or a noise or a cry or something like that. And, uh, you know, my, my kids are fighting again. It was my toy. She pushed me. I did the, and the competition and all of the drama. And uh, this one morning, I'm there, and my oldest, who's like just the most affectionate human being on the planet, she comes over to me, and she's on my lap, and she's kissing me and stroking me and cuddles and snuggles. And the little one's not so much like that. She's <laughs> I reach in, and she kind of gives me the elbow. They're radically different. But the older one is so affectionate. She comes to me and she's saying how much she loves me. This is in the midst of drama. I don't know where the little one is. Crying, I can hear noise in the background. But my oldest one who's super affectionate is sat on my knee and kissing me and she's telling me and she's, she's pouring it all out. It's beautiful, it's amazing. It really is, it's awesome. But there was something in that moment. Remember, I'm in this zone, my thinking. My radar is up for revelation. God, you're communicating this truth to me through every means possible. So my radar is alert to this truth. And as my daughter is loving me, I suddenly become aware that whilst I receive her love, as a dad, what I truly want in this moment is for my daughters to love one another. And there, was, there is no amount of love that my children can demonstrate and communicate to me if they themselves are in strife. And actually, the way that my children can love me the most is when they love one another. When they're kind, when they share each other's toys, when they don't fight and bicker. And I thought, how much more, therefore. You know, Jesus uses that statement, how much more, when he's talking about earthly dads and kids and giving them gifts and presents and things like that. And he says, if you're human and you know how to do this, it's within your nature. How much more, therefore, is the heavenly father? And if me as a human dad long for this type of connection with my children, for them to love one another as a demonstration of love to me, how much more does God say to us? And I think that's what's going on in all of the scriptures that I'm reading. Am I speaking truth? <clears throat> John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that they that believe shall not perish but have eternal life. For love to become manifest, it has to involve giving. 
In Romans 8, 37, he says, for he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us, will he now with him graciously give us all things? The nature and the essence of a loving father is that he would give to us, but that we would not keep it for ourselves, but that we would give it away to others. My kids, uh, not my kids, when I was a kid. Uh, and you might, you, this might have happened to you. When I was a child and it got to um, things like birthdays and Christmases and stuff, because I was young and had no money or a job, my dad would give me money and then ask me to go and buy a gift for like my brother and my mum. right? Does anyone else do this? Um, and I, th I was thinking about this. I'm like, this is the perfect picture. I had nothing. I had no means of getting anything. And here's the profound thing. We have no love that does not come from him. There is no job that I can be employed in to generate love that is of myself. I can't work for it. The love that is available to us is given as a gift to which we must freely receive. I receive the gift from my father. I go and spend it on a gift for those that he loves. And this rhythm is put into effect. I receive and I give and as I give, I demonstrate love toward those that my father loves. And so my dad is teaching me about the rhythm of receiving and giving. When I was an early, uh, I was a very young believer. It was close to 20 years ago. I had the privilege of going to Israel. I've not been back since. So I would love to go. It was really annoying because I didn't know anything. I didn't know the Bible. And we're walking around. It's like, this is where David did this. And this is where I'm like, I'm, I, I don't know. It's really cool. But, and I'm glad to be here. But uh, it, was, it was one of those things. I'm like, I really want to go back now and see all of those places. One of the places we went to was the Dead Sea. And um, it's really cool, like you get, you know, you, you, you go in and if you've been there, you can kind of float on top of the water and, and um, there's all of this mud that you put on and it heals you and all of this kind of stuff. It's really awesome. And, um, but it's really fascinating because it's the lowest place on earth, right? It's like 1,600 meters below sea level. And uh, it's surrounded by mountains. And when it rains, all of the minerals from the rock flow into this sea and the sea has an input, the River Jordan. But it doesn't have an output. The richness of life from the mountains and the river flow into it. But because there is nothing that is able to flow out of it, it is so rich in the richness that nothing can live. Hence the name the Dead Sea. And this idea of receiving and giving and receiving and giving, this rhythm of life and of love, it's built into the very fabric of our existence. <sighs> 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 
we're not even aware of it. But the very fact that you're still alive right now is because you take from the atmosphere, but you immediately give back to it. That's the rhythm of love. That's the rhythm of life. That's the rhythm, that's the breath that flows through us and it is built into the very fabric of creation and our survival and existence as human beings. We have to give, we cannot hold on. God desires to get things through you, not to you. He will give to you and it is for you, but his ultimate desire is that life and that love and that goodness and that mercy and that blessing and that favor and that opportunity and that fullness of life that is available, it would not end with you, but that it would travel through you. Amen? Come on. <clears throat> Another lesson for my children. I keep saying my children are my greatest teachers. I, I learn more about the nature of God and of love than of everything from them. I was, uh, I was sat in the car yesterday and the two kids, my two children were in the back and I'm waiting for Ashling. And uh, all of a sudden my little one, Kara, she just begins to sing this little jingle. You know, and, and this is the, like the jingle, something like, and I love my sister and I love my daddy and I love my mommy. And then she screams, and I love Jesus, she says. It was so cute. And, um, and I kind of turn around, I'm like, that's so cool. I said, and I've been doing this with them. I say, but what's the most important thing about love? And the both of them say in unison, oh, that God loves me. I say, that's right. That's the most important thing of love is that God loves you. Always remember that for the rest of your life. And then there's a few moments and uh, then Raya, my oldest, she kind of pipes up and she says, oh, daddy, there's another thing. I said, yeah. And she says, Jesus loves San Diego too. <laughs> and uh, I thought that's true. I, says, and I said, you know, Raya, do you know why Jesus is asking us as a family to move to San Diego? And she says, why? I says, because there's people there who don't yet know that. God loves them. And the giving of love can often be and should be something as simple as telling another human being that God loves them. St. Francis of Assisi said this, at all times preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Question, who in your world does not yet know that God loves them? You wanna be a friend of God? We gotta love other human beings. That's what he says in John 15. I hate it when he puts conditions on things. I'm like, I much prefer when it's unconditional. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, salvation, free, unconditional, yes, please. But then when he places a condition on something, I'm like, salvation is free, but maturity will cost you everything. That we enter into the kingdom, but then we walk it out in fear and trembling. The soberness of knowing that there's far greater things to live for than ourselves. He says, if you want to be my friend, you must keep this command. 
What's the command? You gotta love each other. Is anyone in here who wants to be a friend of God? Then you gotta find another human being to love. <laughs> it's that simple. It's that simple. We cannot love God in isolation. We cannot love God in our monasteries and in our caves and our retreating from society. There's a world out there who does not yet know him and does not yet know that they are loved by him. And he asks us to go and tell them and to go and demonstrate. One of the things I'm passionate about is just unity within the church. It's, I'm fascinated by church history and you know, there, for a thousand years, there was only one church and then they had an internal fight and the big first church split happened and then we had East and West and it was just East and West for like another 500 years and then we had the Reformation, which was awesome and needed and of God one of the negative legacies of the Reformation was that we, we began to introduce um, a means of knowing truth exclusively on a book. This became truth. And if I disagreed with you about what the truth said, guess what? We can't be in communion with one another which is why there's been 40,000 denominations in the last 500 years. I did the math, it's like two every Sunday. Every Sunday for 500 years is at least two church splits. <laughs> and I heard someone say recently, we were talking about deconstruction, it's a big buzz thing now, a generation deconstructing their faith. But really the fruit is they deconstruct it to the point where they don't even believe anymore. But I heard someone say recently, how can you deconstruct something that's already in 40,000 pieces? <laughs> Surely it requires a repair, a regeneration, a return to first love. A return to this very truth that our purpose on the earth is to love one another to such a degree that the God who was invisible is made visible through our love for one another. And as a community of God's people, we can now shine like stars to the world and say this is who God is and this is how he feels about you. <clears throat> Could I get the... Um, did I get the piano guy? Sorry, da uh, David. Not David, <laughs> it's his brother. Nathan, sorry, Nathan. <laughs> I, get, I get this sense that, um, by the way, I, I probably have like 12 weeks worth of, this message is like 12 weeks long. So I've given you an overarc to it. And like I didn't even, I like, there's something about loving your enemies. 
like this is the extreme. When it comes to receiving this love that he has given us and then making it manifest, making it real, there is no greater manifestation of the love of God as when we love our enemies. Turning the other cheek and forgiving those who persecute us. Praying for and blessing those who seek to do us harm, Jesus said. I was watching this uh, documentary called Sheep Among Wolves. Um, it's about the Iranian church. If you haven't watched it, you can watch it free on YouTube. It's about a revival that is exploding in the underground church in Iran. And it's so powerful. And, but one of the things that, you know, the commentator says in that was, um, he begins to talk about what's present amongst, what's present amongst the believers in the church, amongst the believers in Iran is a love for Israel. And a belief, a conviction that they are the ones called to go and preach the gospel to the Jews. Why is that powerful? Because they're enemies. And in the same way God took the Apostle Paul, an enemy of the church, and transformed him to become its greatest advocate, let us pray that God would raise up an Iranian church that is willing to lay down its life and go to its previous enemies and say, this is the love of God. And to wash the feet of those they have persecuted. That's got God all over it. That's, that's it, that's the essence. There's something power, it's like He just, it comes fully alive when we begin to love our enemies. I heard someone say recently that enemy love is the only thing that cannot be counterfeited by the enemy. That's it. When you see love for enemies on display, you can guarantee that the enemy is nowhere to be seen. He can't do it. He can't counterfeit it. Let us be a church who embraces a love that cannot be counterfeited. I want to return to where I began because in all of this urgency to go and give away the love of God, the chances are many of you are sat here in desperate need being reminded that God loves you. And um, I wanna read something for you. This is, a, this is by Graham Cook. And it's called The Inheritance and you can get it online. And if you never heard it, I'm gonna, I don't need to try and put on an English accent because I do have an English accent. So I just don't know if it'll be as good as Graham's. <laughs> but I'm gonna read this thing. This is a declaration of, it really, it's just, it's called the beloved. And right now for these few moments, we're already a minute over, but for these few minutes, I want you just to, I want you, I want you to move out of religion. If there's anything within you right now in this moment that is driving you 
to reach and to love God, but you have a deficit of His love for you. This is for you. And it's for me, because I need this every day. I need to daily be reminded that He is the source of all life and love. And the rhythm and the cadence is from Him through me to you. Graham says this, The Lord says that there is nothing you can do that will make Him love you more. There is also nothing you can do that will make Him love you less. He loves you because He loves you, 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 because that is what He is like. It is His nature to love. And you will always be the beloved. And His love is unchanging. He loves you 100%. He won't love you any better when you become better. He loves you 100% right now. And even if you have no plans to become better, He will still love you 100% because He loves you. Because that's the way that He is. And even if you have no plans to walk with Him, He will still love you 100% because that's His nature. He loves all the way, all the time. His love is unchanging. What will change, says God, is your ability to receive my love. And this morning, I want to cram some more of that ability inside of you. So I challenge you, says the Lord, open your heart to me. Open your heart to me. And you will receive more of my love than you have ever experienced before. I dare you, says the Lord, come and open your heart to me. Give me your heart. Give me whatever your obstacle is, I'll take it. I'll remove the obstacle out of the way because I love you as you are right now. I love you 100%. So be loved. You are the beloved. It is your job, says the Lord, to be loved outrageously. It's why I chose you. It's why I set my love upon you. That you would live as one who was outrageously loved. That you would receive a radical love. So radical that it will blow apart all of your paradigms of what you think love is. And know this says the Lord, I will love you outrageously all the days of your life. Because I don't know how to be any different. This is who I am. And this is who I will always be. This is the I am that I promised you. I am He that loves you outrageously. And you may love me back with the love that I first gave to you. But know this says God, you can only love me as much as you love yourself. So my love comes this morning to set you free from yourself, to set you free from how you see yourself to set you free from the smallness of your own thinking about yourself. My love comes to set you free from rejection and from shame and from low self-esteem 
and from despair and from abuse. Because when I look at you, says God, I see someone that I love. And I have so much to bestow upon you, so much to give you, so many places to take you in my heart, but you cannot go there unless you allow me to love you. My love will break every barrier. It will break every chain. It will bring every wall crashing down. And know this, says God, my love damages fear. My love hates fear. My love will fight fear. It will fight fear in you and it will fight fear around you. And if you have fear this morning, says the Lord, then know that you have a treat in store. My perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear where I am present because my love casts out fear. Beloved, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. And in my love, I want you to feel good about yourself. Father, we pray that each and every single one of us this morning with our hearts wide open would just receive the biggest, the most abundant, the most thorough, the most full, the most rich experience and revelation of your love in us and through us. We love you because you first loved us.